0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Data Fem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decaio Data, and we have made it through another challenging week. So like I said last episode, for anyone who wants to share data they've perceived— ask for tips about working remotely, share positive news and vibes, or even air grievances about anything and everything, I'm always available to you on Twitter at DecaioData or by email at Decaio at DecaioData.com. Right now, I'm with Heather Federman, the Vice President of Privacy and Policy at Big ID, who has kindly sponsored this episode. You'll hear more about Big ID and the work that they do in this episode, as well as how current policies on the scene right now are affecting how companies must manage their data. So hi, Heather, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in policy and how you got to where you are now?
1: Sure. Well, so my name is Heather, uh, and I am currently the Vice President of Privacy and Policy at Big ID, where I manage and lead initiatives related to privacy evangelism, product innovation, internal compliance, and industry collaboration. for my story, I'll start at the beginning when I was in law school. Back in my first year, I happened to have a writing assignment about a Fourth Amendment search incident to arrest issue, and it was basically having to argue whether um, whether the police were right or whether there was a privacy violation. And I chose to argue the privacy side, and I got really, really jazzed and passionate about the, the issue and the assignment. And I kind of said to myself in that first year in, for this random assignment, okay, if I'm going to be a lawyer, then this is what I'm going to devote my legal career to. So the rest of my legal education was basically designed around understanding privacy, but also everything that goes with it. So I took classes related to administrative law, um, classes about the First Amendment, uh, about criminal procedure, about telecommunications. Um, And by the time I graduated, I also had, it wasn't really a minor, but um, a certificate in information law from Brooklyn Law School. After that, I was really fortunate to get a fellowship with the Future of Privacy Forum. And they're a DC-based think tank and they seek to advance responsible data practices. So I moved down to DC and within that year period, it was, it was kind of like winning the golden ticket into the world of privacy because my my then boss, Jules Polnetsky, you know, I consider him the wise man of privacy, and he just kind of knew everything or knew everyone. So really got to see how the sausage gets made from the consumer data protection landscape. There were some very eye-opening moments. Um, I was very involved with, with things related to... Um, mobile app transparency. So um, at the time, uh, the big thing was the platforms like Apple and Android having to actually have the settings within um, within the apps to, to input, to link to a privacy statement. Um, there was also um, the Children's Privacy Act, COPPA, was going through a major update. The NTIA was going through a whole process where they were trying to do a multi-stakeholder approach to saying, let's make sure that mobile apps, that they are transparent. That process didn't go the way I think people intended. I don't know if it was a failure, but it was a really good learning experience to see uh, the various stakeholders that are involved and how hard it truly is to find compromise when it comes to uh, reaching consensus, even on a voluntary code of conduct. After Future of Privacy Forum, I then was the public policy director for the Online Trust Alliance. Um, in that capacity, I my my role was similar, except Online Trust Alliance OTA they dealt a little bit more with the security side of things. And around that time is when the massive Target data breach happened. So a lot of my work was focused around um, doing workshops on data breach, incidents response, making sure that businesses were ready and how to handle this. I ended up moving back home to New York and I went on the corporate side where I was at American Express. And in that capacity, I was primarily focused on being the privacy expert for digital marketing uh in the in the mobile sphere i learned a lot about that from my future privacy forum days and then also working with the teams that dealt with entertainment and sponsorships and anything advertising related from american express i ended up going to macy's to take on a role as the director of privacy and data risk or as my boss nicknamed it the deputy cpo Uh, my boss was the cpo the chief privacy officer of the company And in that capacity, I was basically the go-to privacy SME within the company um, from managing our external privacy statement, our notice of privacy practices, as well as our internal policies on data handling and protection, focusing as a consultant for the business, uh, working with the... Our, our risk assessment team, on any third parties that we would be potentially sharing data or working with, focusing on communications externally and also internally with our employees, and then training as well. I, I did a lot of training in terms of basic training and more in depth training on data handling and protection. And that was for um, a period of over four years. And I, I really got to see how with between both Macy's and American Express how privacy functions as part of a business is that it's you know one, it's it's one sliver within making a business work and sometimes it's honestly a bit of a thankless job because no one's going to sit there and pat you on the back for keeping the company out of trouble it's only when trouble happens that people are going to look to you and either say why did this happen or help get us out of that and especially in the, the data breach world, it's now not a question of if a data breach is going to happen, it's when. And that's kind of what comes in in general with data protection, is this kind, this assumption that we first want to make sure everything is protected, but if something goes wrong, how are we going to respond to it? So, um, you know, I, I spent several years on the corporate side, and as I was trying to figure out what to do next in my career. I realized I didn't want a traditional compliance role, uh, so when this opportunity with Big ID opened up, it I got really excited about it because it wasn't just doing compliance. Because yes, I am the um, the chief privacy officer or data protection officer for Big ID from an internal compliance point of view, but also it's helping the team advise on the product because Big ID creates a a software platform for companies to really help to know and understand their data. So really being able to advise the product team on, well, what are the things that you should be thinking about? What are the things that someone like me would actually care about? And then also being able to go out to speak with folks like yourself about the issues that I care about and that big ID would care about and really getting to be that evangelist or that advocate and getting to work on a one-on-one level with people, on a group level with people. It's, it's three different domains that I'm basically covering, but they're all related to privacy. So I've, I've really been enjoying my, my new role in this capacity. I'm two months in, and what's been interesting is how big a learning curve it's been for me because while I have um, a pretty solid legal background, but I don't have a strong technical background. So it's been a really big learning curve but I think it's one that is worthwhile to really learn how this technology works because that's how we can get technologists and lawyers in the same room speaking the same language is by learning to understand each other. So while I'm trying to learn how the the technology works, the product works, at the same time, the company is trying to learn from me about, well, what are the legal ramifications um, of everything that we do? Um, or, or of the things that customers would care about, even understanding simple legal terminology that to me is second nature. but to someone who might not be a lawyer would need some more explanation.
2: yeah, it's a real give and take there and speaking of give and take, I'm curious how your background in finance with you know data protection and retail informs your work now like what? What have you taken away from those industries that you're translating to your work now?
1: I think what's interesting in America is that we take a very sector-specific approach to privacy. I don't know if it's the best thing, but it just is kind of the way it is. And so with American Express, you're dealing with a financial institution. So it's a more heavily regulated company, and so certain rules apply in what you can and cannot do. Macy's being a retailer on the one hand those sort of regulations may not apply but then on the other hand there is a Macy's credit card so in that sense there are financial rules that do apply And I was also responsible for dealing with employee data issues. So there was a lot of stuff that came up in the the health world, in the medical world, and that's where we get into HIPAA-related concerns. Both of those jobs also in some capacity dealt with children's data, which is another area that is highly regulated through um, the Children's Privacy Act um, because with American Express, if we're dealing with marketing, are we marketing towards younger people? Is this considered directed towards a child? It's not just the law that comes into play with privacy, but also what should we be doing? What are the policy considerations that we should keep in mind? Is this something that, um, in which we are looking at the benefit versus the risk of doing this? Um, I think this is where privacy becomes a bit more nuance, because yes, it's about the law, but it's also about asking the right questions about knowing what data are you collecting? What purpose are you using that data for? Are you sharing that data with someone else? How long are you keeping that data for? Um, Is this putting your consumer, your customer first? That should always be a top of mind question, um, and then also, there's the reputational risk for not just from the consumer sense of if there's a privacy harm, but also from the business sense. Is that let's say a um, a reporter found out that a company were doing X program. Is this something that could be a terrible media story? That's basically what happened to Nordstrom's years ago, um, where so Nordstrom's had partnered with a analytics company called Euclid and. It was basically to do in-store Wi-Fi analytics, and in a pilot in one store in Minnesota, they had put up a a little notice here and there, basically explaining, hey, we're going to be tracking your phones or your data anonymously. Some reporter walked into the store, saw it, freaked out, wrote an article. It became a whole media shit show. Senators ended up writing letters to the company So what could have been um, a pretty benign program ended up creating a lot of confusion based off the way that that notice was written, based off the fact that maybe they could have been more transparent about it. But that's one of the considerations from a PR standpoint to keep in mind.
0: Do you know your data? The truth is we could all know our data a lot better. By using BigID's multi-pronged approach to monitoring and organizing your enterprise's data, you ensure that your business is up to speed with the current standards of data privacy, protection, and perspective that will maximize efficiency and mitigate risk. Don't let valuable unseen or forgotten data fall through the cracks. BigID pulls data across your accounts wherever your data lives and offers coverage at petabyte scale for unstructured files like SharePoint Online to NoSQL databases like MongoDB to data lakes and everything in between. Managing petabyte scales of sensitive and customer data does not have to be overwhelming. Get a clue into the insights you're missing at BigID.com and see how a discovery in-depth approach with apps for privacy, protection, and perspective will change the way you know your data. Now back to our show. So I'd love for you to tell me about major trends in policy
1: right now and how they're affecting your work at BigID. The General Data Protection Regulation (GDPR) and the California Consumer Privacy Act (CCPA). These are more comprehensive privacy regulations that basically define what data that they is covered, um, whether or not there should be consent, a la GDPR. Whether you have to disclose who you're sharing data with via CCPA, the right to delete that data if you so choose. So it really created this whole new level playing field for many companies. So really keeping track of the various privacy regulations that are happening in the states and also on a global level because many companies operate on a multinational level and you might have to have different, different rules applied to different jurisdictions. So that can be very challenging for a company to manage if you don't have the right framework in place, if you don't have the right technologies in place. So really keeping track of what's going on, what are the various, what are the definitions of data that are out there? Because personal data under GDPR is different than personal information under CCPA. The Washington Privacy Act, the 2020 version, I was following that very closely, and unfortunately, they couldn't reach consensus um, in that state Congress. But last I checked, I think there were 20 bills that were um, on the books, all related to some form of privacy regulation more comprehensive privacy regulation, because as I said earlier, the U.S. up until now has taken a very sector-specific approach, but now it's creating more comprehensive, holistic privacy legislation, which is why there's also, at the same time, this push for federal privacy legislation. The problem there, the two main issues there as to whether or not that would ever get passed are about private right of action, which is basically the ability for an individual to sue a company for for not, for not violating the law, and CCPA, you only have private right of action if there were a data breach, um, but otherwise, it would be, though, that attorney general enforcing it. So that's going to be one thing that is going to be a really big sticking point. And then the other thing would be preemption, um, whether the federal version of the law is stronger or not strong enough compared to a state version. So those are going to be the two things that are really going to be the question of whether or not we would ever see a federal privacy law within, I'd say, my, my guess is the next five to 10 years. Um, definitely not happening this year because, of course, the other thing that's really going on right now is our current pandemic. Um, and unfortunately, it's you know, it's it's affecting everybody um, from health to finances and it's put – it has put maybe some of these uh, privacy legislative movements on hold, obviously. But on the other hand, it's created some really eye-opening um, questions about our privacy rights because there are talks about the government – Working with private the private sector on sharing location data, on sharing health data, and not really going into the specifics of what that means um, concerns me because I, I, I am okay with understanding that we are in a crisis mode, that we all need to work together to track the spread of this virus, to give people the right resources when they need them, but how are we collecting this data? How are we using this data? Are we making sure we're using it for this very limited purpose? Do we have some sort of time period in saying once this crisis is averted, we'll stop these sort of programs or we'll retain this data for only as long as necessary? I haven't seen these questions being discussed yet. And unfortunately, history has proven from the past that in crisis mode, we sometimes make these decisions of saying, we need data, we need to save people. And then once things go back to normal, those measures that were taken in a moment of crisis are still there because it's very hard. Once, once you're given power, it's hard to let go of that power. So that's that's where my, at least this past week, honestly, my my main focus has been.
2: Well, that's a wonderful segue. How do you feel we as a country are doing in terms of our policies about data right now and the data that we're releasing and the way that um, this whole crisis is being dealt with?
1: You know, I think in some ways it's showing a lot of the cracks in the system and not and not just from a data level or privacy level. It's, it's showing cracks in the system from every level, but, you know, Besides trying to keep myself safe and my family safe, it's been really fascinating to see, well, what are the cracks in the privacy system and what are we okay, what are we willing to compromise in the name of our health, in the name of our lives? And I saw someone on LinkedIn say, well, privacy shouldn't even matter right now. It's all guns out on this. And, and that sort of fear-based reactive statement is what really concerns me. And we are seeing that unfortunately, we might be seeing that amongst um, our top officials right now. In terms of, you know, our communication, our communication has not been great about this, at least from the federal level. I mean, you know, I was reading something about how there are certain state governors or representatives that have been very communicative on behalf of their state citizens. But, you know, one thing I had read, it was, I Forgetting his name, but he's the author of the book about the Spanish influenza, and he had written an op-ed in the New York Times last Sunday, and he said the most important thing from the 1918 Spanish flu outbreak is is telling the truth, is saying is basically being transparent with the population, and that transparency also includes being transparent with how you're going to use our data. The stimulus bill would give the CDC. The Center for Disease Control, a half-billion-dollar package on basically setting up some sort of system to manage and monitor public health of American citizens. And it's very unclear as to what is in that bill, whether or not they do need to keep privacy and security measures top of mind when creating such a program. The only thing I've seen is that if this gets passed, then they'd at least have to um, check in within a 30-day period about how that program is being developed. So I'm, I understand the need for such a program, but it's really that transparency that I'm asking for. It's knowing that my data is going to be protected. I want to trust that the powers that be, that they're not only protecting my life, but they're also protecting my data. Google has a subsidiary called Verily, in which basically you could go to check out any needed information about the coronavirus. But in order to access that, you need to be able to log in with a Google account So this creates two questions. One, why do you actually need a Google login for this? And then, you know, why couldn't you just access this as a regular internet user? And then number two, well, what exactly are they doing with that data? Are they adding that to all the other data that Google might have about me across my various services? The OCR has come out with a statement saying that for HIPAA, which there's HIPAA privacy security rules in the medical context, that for any doctors that need to have conversations with their patients, um, so it would be some sort of telehealth, that they're not going to um, be enforcing any potential security violations there. And so it is understandable that, let's say, a doctor wants to speak to a patient quickly, and maybe they'd speak through Zoom or they'd speak through Google Hangouts, and these are technically not HIPAA-compliant services in which you would traditionally be speaking to even in um, a virtual context, but because of the emergency nature of the situation, that's okay. But then does the OCR also have a sense of, well, how long is this period going to last for? I think ultimately... What I'm realizing is that with these decisions being made at the federal level, I'm really hoping that they have the right mixture of experts in the room. So you have the right doctors in the room, the right pandemic experts in the room, and then also the right um, technologists in the room, data scientists, security experts, privacy experts, ethicists. These are all the people that need to be at the table so they can come together and they can make a sound sound choices as what we should do going forward.
2: I think that's a good point and I think that that's why issues of diversity and inclusion are so important because we need to make sure that everybody who can be in the room is in the room. I do want to ask you about the trade-off between collecting the data that people need to move forward with an understanding of whatever situation we're in versus respecting people's privacy?
1: Well, I, I think when it comes to these sort of challenges, it's, it's a question of context. You know, I, in this past week, I, I think I've misplaced my phone two or three times. And each time I ended up needing to use find my iPhone, even in my own house, uh, which is slightly embarrassing. But in order to do that, I need to enable location on my phone. So in that instance, I'm okay with Apple using my location. But when it comes to Apple sharing this data with a third party for, let's say, a marketing purpose that I don't know about, I would have a problem with that. In the case of this pandemic, I might be okay with Apple or an operating system or... um, a telecom provider, sharing this data to keep track of where the population is and what their movements are. But one, I'd want to know about it. And two, I'd want them to be doing it on a more, if possible, anonymized and aggregate level so as to preserve my individual privacy as much as possible. Whether that's happening, though, is up for debate. So I I don't have an issue with us using data because i i do believe in using data for good but that's the question when we use this data are we using it for the right purposes and are we protecting the people that we're trying to protect
2: exactly protection doesn't necessarily mean slower progress at all it means maybe you can move you can charge ahead and move very quickly with the right process. It might just take time to really develop a process that takes people's concerns of privacy to an adequate degree.
1: The greatest statement I think I've heard this week, and just that really applies, I think, to life in general, is that we have a bad habit of acting without thinking. And now more than ever, we need to stop and actually think through our actions. Let's Think before we act on data, because let's say we want to collect location data. Okay, well, do we have the right location data in place? Do we have the right measures in place? Is this actually going to be beneficial? This is really one of the lessons I think we can learn from nine eleven, in which um, there was a a petition or or ten provisions that were signed by I think one hundred and twenty eight different groups called I think in defense of freedom during a time of crisis. There were 10 of them and number 3 was actually about, you know, let's make sure that we are calm and rational as we make these choices going forward. Thank you so much, Heather. I
0: really enjoyed having you on the show and our discussion. A major discussion I want to have with my DataFem audience is how all of you feel about sharing the visualizations, shiny apps, analyses, etc. on social media with the general public. Is it ethical? Is it more harmful than helpful? Are epidemiologists the only people who should be posting analyses? Or is there a place for we data nerds to contribute? If you have a story or opinion on this, please shout it out to Dekayo Data on Twitter or Dekayo at DekayoData.com. Also, if you like what you heard on this episode, Please support the circulation of more innovative content by becoming a patron of DataFem on Patreon at patreon.com datafem. I wish you the best for the coming week. Until we meet again.